Today, we pray. Now let your words, O Lord, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew's, the gospel according to St. Matthew, the pericope that we have before us today, it's, a, it's pericope is just a big word to say. That's the portion that uh, we're focused on in the, in the, in the chapter of, uh, chapter 16. Uh, we have these words with which the reading begins. From that time on, from that time on. And we can take those words and we can apply them to the Old Testament reading with Jeremiah. If we apply them to the Old Testament reading uh, that Bud presented this morning, uh, we can see how they, how they are applicable. Jeremiah complains to the Lord and he even, kind of strong words, I don't know if you noticed. Jeremiah says these words, truly, it's talking to the Lord, truly, you are to me like a deceitful brook. Kind of when I heard that, I kind of said, Jeremiah, you shouldn't say that to the Lord, right? Truly, you are to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. Wow. And then you can take those words of Matthew from that time on when Jeremiah heard the promises of God, life was different, completely different. I have a feeling that Jeremiah wanted to take back those words. But my grandmother used to say, be careful what you say because once it goes out, it does not come back. You can't call it back once you let it out. Or take, for example, the psalmist, right? The psalmist, you know, begins by asking God for judgment. And then in verse 2, um, uh, after the psalmist says, test me, O Lord, and try me, examine my heart and my mind, the psalmist, you can insert from that time on, your steadfast love, the psalmist says, is before my eyes, and I have walked faithfully with you. From that time on, the change comes over. And if we think about Paul, I mean, if you know Paul's story, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was going to Damascus to, to gather up those who were followers of Jesus to bring them back for trial and possible execution. But listen to what Paul says. Paul says, after the Damascus Road experience when Jesus was revealed to him, Paul says, I'm just going to use one line from Paul in verse 21. From that time on, Paul would say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. From that time on. So apply it to your life. 
I mean, there are moments in your life that you can insert that word, those four words, from that time on. You know your experiences, your life experiences, and you know what significantly changed in your life at pivotal moments that you could say, from that time on, I was able to, or I began to, Morgan would say, from that time on, when my son entered this life, I didn't sleep too well at nights. But you know what? I grew in love for him. And I'm still growing in love for him. From that time on, applied to today, we might say, from that time on, in order to reduce the spread of COVID-19, we began, what? Social distancing. I mean, look around. We're not sitting very close to each other unless we're family, right? We began social distancing, and we began wearing these things, masks. The only good thing about these masks is that they help us to be safe, right? But there's another thing that I like about the mask, in as much as I, I don't really like wearing them, I like when they have colors. Look around. Some of them are beautiful. We've become, we're becoming used to it. From that time on, we're becoming used to it because we see the necessity of wearing them, and we began to what? Make them presentable, right? So instead of hiding our face, we kind of put things on them, we paint them, we get nice fabric to kind of share what we're feeling inside. Love, joy, peace, maybe trepidation as well, from that time on. And although reluctantly we began social distancing and wearing masks, we had to convince Peter to keep an open mind and accept guidelines for in-person gatherings for the safety of all. From that time on, with reference to the conclusion of the political parties' conventions, presidential candidates begin to hit the road in search of votes. Hmm? But unlike Jesus, who knew his fate, none of them can say with certainty that they will come out on top. If they knew and made it public, I can imagine Peter or the Peters of this world jumping up and objecting and saying, listen, you don't count your chickens before they hatch. The gospel pericope invites us to see ourselves in the story today and not to be bystanders. So, who would you like to be in this story? 
Uh, when I was thinking about this portion of Scripture for the message today, and I had to enter the text, I, I felt it's a stretch to be Jesus, really. I always have a problem trying to be Jesus, so I kind of ruled that out very early on. It's a stretch to be Jesus, and since we are not mute like the rest of the disciples in the passage, we're not mute like them, we reluctantly side with Peter. From that time on, the Peter in us vigorously protests what is happening in the nation. We do not like being demonized, but there is no tolerance for indifference to hatred, greed, idolatry, ignorance, and dishonesty. We strenuously object to further spiritual decay and call attention to this election season as a pivotal moment as we mark the 57th anniversary of the march on Washington. On second thought, we might be Jesus who was looking for a little support. He told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But you just cannot agree with this fatalistic mindset. So, so you become Peter and you try to change his mind. Lord, that should never happen to you. We do it all the time. One of the things that I get a little impatient with is when someone dies in a family and, and the mourners show up to support the loved ones and they try to tell the loved ones, um, don't worry, it's God's will. Come on! Who says something like that? I mean, even if it's right, it doesn't help. It doesn't comfort. It's not supportive. Peter is more admirable, however, because he will not go down without a fight. So, the Peter we see in this text is not a weakling. However, that is not strength or courage because he missed the big picture. Peter missed the big picture. We do not accept Jesus for who he is and what he is about if we take a stand with Peter. We think we know him, but our knowledge of him is incomplete at best. He's the Messiah, but we really do not understand the full meaning of that title if we take a stand with Peter. Nevertheless, it feels good to be Peter, 
a voice of conscience. For someone has to oppose the arrogant, selfish, and demigods of our day. So Peter looks good. If for no other reason, he looks good because he is honest. And honesty is a virtue that is sadly lacking in the world of politics today. And then Jesus, Jesus has to speak. And he called Peter Satan. Now here we can identify with Jesus because we call people names, don't we? Yeah. We call people names. Satan. In Hebrew, Satan means adversary. Adversary. The one who resists. And to Jesus, Peter embodied the adversary. Like Peter, there are times when we get things wrong. We make wrong judgments. We say the wrong words without careful thought. We act as though we know it all when in fact, we do not know what is right or just or honorable. I've been down that road before. And I have to tell you, when you get exposed, it is really, really humbling. Very humbling. Granted, I was not called Satan, but I sure feel like I was. Perhaps you too have been there and know how Peter felt trying to change Jesus' mind. Remember those days? We sometimes call uh, the past the good old days. Not all of them are good. I remember those days when we were kept in line with threats of hell. Remember those days? We call them the fire and brimstone days. Preachers used to get in the pulpit and they used to really let out fire and brimstone, right? I vividly remember members from the Westboro Baptist Church. You remember that church? Westboro Baptist Church showing up at the church where my family worshipped in Minnesota. They held up large hate signs because the congregation was welcoming to LGBTQ peoples. I remember those days vividly, and I felt it was outrageous, and I felt sad. How Jesus reacted to Peter is most important to you and to me. 
He did not send Peter off to hell. He could have, but he did not send Peter off to hell. Call him Satan, but I think he did so in love. Jesus loved him, and Jesus did not reject or banish him. Jesus showed him and us by extension a different way. Instead of sowing seeds of hatred, racism, violence, and division, we are to care for one another as Jesus did. Someone once said, and I quote, I would not give much for your religion unless it can be seen unless it can be seen, end of quote. Paul puts it this way, as Bud read for us this morning. Love must be completely sincere. And I'm reading from the Good News translation. Love must be completely sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Love one another warmly as Christians. And be eager to show respect for one another. Work hard and do not be lazy. Serve the Lord with a heart full of devotion. Let your hope keep you joyful. In these days of COVID-19, it's hard to do that, right? But here's what the Word of God says. Let your hope keep you joyful. Be patient in your troubles and pray at all times. Share your belongings with your needy fellow Christians and open your homes to strangers. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them a drink. For by doing this, you will make them burn with shame. Do not let evil defeat you. Instead, conquer evil with good. From that time on, love must be completely sincere. Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good, Paul says. We need to be Peter. We need to be Peter and follow Jesus rather than try to change him. At other times, like Peter, we need to passionately object to evil and believe that behavior will change because of a vision from Jesus Christ in whom we believe and whom we confess. From that time on, with reference to our baptismal call to follow Jesus, we deny ourselves. We take up our cross as Jesus did because he shows us how to think and do what pleases God. From that time on, we become lamps that shine in a dark world. 
I like to tell the children that when they see candles in worship, there's a significance to the candles. That the candles are not just there as decoration in as much as they form a part of the aesthetics of the chancel, this area. But the candles are symbolic of who we are in Christ. For us to have light, as is shown on this candle, something must be sacrificed. For us to have light, a flame, something must be sacrificed. The wick must sacrifice itself. The wax, in this case liquid, paraffin, must sacrifice itself. Without that sacrifice, we have no light. We can't shine. The candle is useless. So, from that time on, we become lamps that shine in a dark world. That's the time of our baptism. And that is the sacrifice we make. From that time on, we acknowledge Peter, the rock of faith within us, on whom Jesus is building his church with the single promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we can say, as we say every Sunday, that we are a welcoming people. We say that from that time on, from our baptism. We are a welcoming people, and our mission is, and we lay it out, to remind each other of our calling in Christ as the people of God at Messiah. Amen.